0: love and greetings they're meeting right now my wife is speaking to them so they're getting the better deal unfortunately for you but um, uh, it's been a real delight to be here today Uh, I'm going to read the passage from Ephesians 4 1 to 16 so if you have a Bible do open to that it's bang halfway through the through the letter that you've been looking at over the last few weeks and um, uh, Paul goes like this from verse 1 As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is uh, the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, uh, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. That's good, isn't it? Sorry, I should say, this is the word of the Lord. And you say, thanks be to God. Great. Okay, fantastic. Um, this passage and this book is about what it means to be the church. And sometimes it's important for us, as uh, you are doing right now, to, to reflect on what it means to be the church, both individually and together, and to be part of a church. And uh, sometimes Christians are not necessarily sure what the church is, and oftentimes people outside the church are not necessarily sure what the church is. When we moved to Exeter 14 years ago, uh, my wife and I moved and we started a church just by moving there, meeting a few people and getting something going and it all really got off from scratch really and I remember wandering around the streets looking for somewhere to do Sunday and we, fa- we saw this venue that wasn't quite yet open but we thought that might be rather nice and we were pressing our noses against the window and the manager came out and said could, could we help you and I said um, yeah we're looking for somewhere to have church on Sunday. And he said, oh, that's interesting. Do you want to come and have a look around? So we had a little look around. And as we're walking around, uh, he says to us, and this is very sort of Devon, if you know Devon at all. He said, what kind of church are you? Do you slaughter chickens? (laughs) And um, I said the first thing that came out of my head, which was no, but we do drink the blood of our leader. (laughs) And there was was a slight intake of breath from my wife. And... um, And then he said, he said, cool, like this. He said, when can you start? And it was absolutely amazing. We had church there for about three years, and that was our intro there. But that was his perception. Well, he didn't really have any perception of the church. He had no idea. Um, And so what we're trying to do is have a sense of what it means to be the church. And uh, it's vital for us as followers of Christ and as part of the big family that we know who we are, what we're trying to do, what we carry, and so on. Here's a couple of questions, and these are questions to ask your neighbor. The first question is this, what is the best thing about being part of a church? And question two, what is the most difficult thing about being part of a church? You're right to chat for about 30 seconds, say hello to the person next to you. What's the best thing? What's the most difficult thing? Off you go. Okay, that's 30 seconds. How are you doing? Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps a few of you just call out what's the best thing about being part of a church the people anything else community. the community yeah, anything else worship. worship, yeah what are the really great things about being part of a church say again shared purpose. shared purpose yeah anything else teaching, yeah good Okay, so what's most difficult? And don't name anybody. (laughs) People, yeah. What else? Okay, you don't need to say. Anything else? Well, actually, I mean, it's really interesting asking those questions because there's lots of wonderful things about church and there's a bunch of difficult things about church. But usually the answer to the first question is what is so great about church is the people. And the answer to what is the most difficult thing about the church is... Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it, you know, and this chapter really beautifully exemplifies both the problem and the glory of the unity and the diversity of being, um, you know, the, the people of God, the family of God. And Paul explores that, what that might mean. But at its best, church is a diverse community and it has men and women, rich and poor, black and white, young and old, left and Right introvert and extrovert, able and additional needs, new Christians and long-term believers, scientists and artists, happy and depressed, married and single, town and country, town and gown, leaders and followers, indigenous and from abroad, and leavers and remainers, all in the same community, loving one another. And as I was thinking about our church back home, I was thinking last week I saw... um, a judge and an ex-con eating together and I saw a, a chicken farmer and a vegan praying together and these are really important things that where people disagree about things or where people have come up against each other on the wrong side uh, in life that in Christ we are one but we are also diverse and in Paul's day the real um Difficulty of bringing people together was was the division between Jew and Gentile. And it was Paul's passion that both Jews and Gentiles, those who are not Jews, should should come together one in Christ. He wanted to see God develop one big family out of scattered and fragmented humanity. And he wanted to see what was seemingly unreconcilable be reconciled both to God and to each other. And as they came together, as you see in chapter 2 of Ephesians, uh, this one big family becomes the dwelling place, the home for the Holy Spirit, for the presence of God. So echoing what Jesus said, when two or three come together, there I am in the middle of you, it's not just a nice thought, it's a reality that where two or three, or tonight where we have a few more than two or three. Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, is absolutely in our midst. He is tangibly in our midst. He is here to bring transformation he's here to speak life into our lives so that when we leave and we 're on our own somewhere else, uh, we have been uh, in the tangible presence the almost the visceral presence of the Holy Spirit. So that was what Paul really wanted and uh, the goal, as he says in, in the passage that I just read to you, the goal of being part of um, the family of God is that is that together we should become mature. Now, what that means, being mature, is being a community that is both diverse and unified, both strong and full of the presence of God, authoritative in the world, uh, and uh, doing all that, uh, that God has called it to do. So maturity is a very—it's um, a—it's—it's it's not just an aspiration; it's a thing that we are called to and that we can enter into. And so uh, there are two strands towards maturity as a community, as a diverse and unified community. There's two strands, and that's what Paul looks at, and that's what I'm just going to say a few words about tonight. And the first strand is this, where Paul says we are to make every effort to be. Unified. We are to make every effort to be unified. So he says in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So why does St. Paul say this? Be humble and gentle and so on. I think it's because he's been to church and he knows what church is like. And so he says, make every effort to uh, keep the unity together and 2,000 years later since these words were written churches are still sometimes notorious for falling out over a whole bunch of things music styles, clashing egos success envy uh, minor theological differences and uh, not only that we as a church live in a culture which more and more these days is, uh, finds it very very easy to get offended isn't that right? People, uh, the, there's something in our culture that stirs that up, that uh, people get the hump about almost everything. And, and so we're living in that um, culture, and we're trying to develop a totally different culture where we make every effort to be unified. And it takes effort to love people who are not, to, to your mind or mine, very lovable or very understandable or um, not very grateful or whatever it might be. And so Paul goes on to make the point that we make every effort because there is already one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It's like he's saying, just saying. All these things are one. And so live up to the calling that you have received. Make every effort to be unified. And so uh, in our church, we do a number of, we, we train people in a number of practices towards this end. We are looking to become a mature Big family, if you like. And so we do workshops and exercises with people where we help people to do things again and again and again which build unity. I'll just give you three. So one thing we do is we help people to encourage one another. So we do exercises where we say, look at the other person and say, when I look at you, what I see is dot, dot, dot. And then you uh, you speak out the good that you see, not the bad. You speak out the good that you see, because you're trying to be encouraging. Uh, and you may well prophesy as well into their lives and, de- and make some declarations about what God is saying in their lives. And, uh, and this is really helpful, because as you receive that kind of thing, that encouragement, you are literally given courage to become uh, a more functioning and more effective Christian in the church and in the world. So we do that quite a lot. Another thing we do is we... Uh, help people how to articulate forgiveness so if you've been in church for anything longer than about 10 minutes you'll know that there's probably someone that you need to forgive or who needs to forgive you because people are people and um, people fall out one with another we hurt one another sometimes meaning to and sometimes not meaning to so learning how to forgive on a regular basis as a lifestyle uh, builds unity and so we, we teach people how to do that, and it's an incredible thing to see where people um, learn how to forgive, and it changes them immensely. So one guy, once he learned to forgive a couple of blokes, he said to me, uh, since he'd forgiven them, he'd been sleeping through the night for the first time in years. That something had happened, something had broken in him, uh, that the, the grudge within him had gone, and he'd let these other people off the hook. And, uh, and so he was, it just turned out that he could sleep and uh, his life was changed. The third thing we ask people to do and we try to train people in is to be hospitable one with another. Now being hospitable is a, a vulnerable action. It's taking action and opening up your life to other people. And as you do that, um, as you open up your life, other people open up their lives to you. And it's really important to get beyond the surface get beyond, uh, you know, the sort of politeness of Christian life and open up our lives one to another. And, uh, and people have been doing that. And, it's, and the results have been remarkable. And in terms of binding people together in unity, it's a very powerful practice. So I just encourage you in those things. So he says, make every effort. Making effort demands effort. That's really, you know, demands action. And so uh, I encourage you to take action in that direction. The second thing, the strand towards unity, is God gives everyone gifts, gifts from the Holy Spirit, to do what Jesus did. God gives everyone gifts to do what Jesus did. So verse 7, if you're following with the passage, it says, to each one of us, in fact, the Greek is really specific, it says it's... It's a word that means to each and every one of us. So it includes anyone who is a follower of Jesus. To each and every one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So God gives everyone different and individual supply of heavenly gifts and power and resource. So together, as a community, we can do what Jesus did. So I this passage is often interpreted to be about leadership particularly when we start thinking about apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers and uh, that's what paul is about to come on to and that's often interpreted as these people are the leaders but it's really clear from this passage that it's not talking about leaders it's saying to each and every one of us gifts and the ministry of jesus is given to us and um saint paul's writing this letter he writes you know, um, in those days, uh, it was a real surprise that Paul would write a letter that would address not just men, but women and children and slaves, which he does a bit, little bit later on in the letter, because these letters were read out loud, and you can imagine, they're in a room like this, they're reading out, somebody's reading out the letter from Paul, and he says, he says, women, da, la, da, la, da. children, you're involved in this, you're, you get grace from God, da, la, da, la, da. and slaves, Who expected that? But Paul addresses slaves. And so this stuff is for everybody. Gifts from the Holy Spirit and being involved in the ministry that Jesus did. Everyone is gifted by God. Everyone has a part to play in what Jesus is doing today in Guildford, in this city. And then uh, Paul goes on to say, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body might be built up. Jesus' ministry it seems to me here is split five ways, sometimes called the five-fold ministry of Jesus. And Jesus exemplified all five areas perfectly and beautifully. That he was the great apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And that's how uh, his, his ministry on earth, what he did on earth, is described. And you can see that when Jesus uh, leaves the scene physically as it were, that he hands on this ministry, this five-fold ministry, to different kinds of people. And you can see people who are in the New Testament apostles, not just the twelve, but others. And you can see people who are prophets like Agabus. And you can see people who are evangelists like Philip. And you can see people who are pastors like Titus. And you can see people who are teachers like Priscilla and Aquila. And so... It's getting parceled out and it's a genius plan because Jesus was located as a human being in one place and now with the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's being parceled out in in different ways to different people uh, in all kinds of different locations. And so the same is true for us now, 2,000 years later, that the ministry of Jesus, as in what Jesus did, is being parceled out to you and me. And he's saying, he gives some to be apostles, some to be Prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. And together we do the ministry of Jesus. But you will primarily lean towards one or two of those, uh, I would suggest, Uh, just as people in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, did. And I wonder if tonight, if you consider yourself one of these things, you may already know, as I've just started speaking, that you. (laughs) that you have apostolic tendencies, that you basically lean towards the prophetic, that you are primarily an evangelist, you love to tell people uh, outside the church about Jesus, Uh, that you are primarily a pastor or a teacher. Now, these, these titles sound really grand, and there are lots of Bible words here, but really we're talking about function. We're talking about how we operate within the body of Christ both in the church and in the world, and so uh, don't get hung up by the long words. The function of what Jesus does in us and through us is crucial to grasp hold of. And I just want to give you, if you like, very brief thumbnail sketches of the of the fivefold ministry of Jesus. And as I describe them, what I'd love you to do is just think: Do I resonate with that? Do I resonate with that, either by gifting, or by passion, or by experience? Um, or simply by temperament. I'm just that sort of person. That's okay, because God designs us in particular ways to be a contribution one to another. And as you look around this church, you can see not everyone's the same. Everyone's got very different gifts. Everyone's got very different parts to play in the body, in the big family. So here we go. Do you resonate with the apostolic part of Jesus' ministry? And what that means is, the apostles were literally what it means is they are sent they are people who are sent out usually they're sent out from what is known and comfortable to what is unknown and uncomfortable and they go out and they go out in order to break new ground to make a difference if you like there's something pioneering about this uh, entrepreneurial or whatever and uh, they're propelled outwards to um, uh, to bring the gospel in different kinds of places in new places if you like and they change the atmosphere of where they are. So in my church, I think of a, a guy who works for a law firm. And he really felt that he had the experience of being sent to this place uh, by by the Lord. And, uh, and his job was, from the Lord as it were, was to change the culture of the company. The culture was not that great when he got there. And as he worked his way in and up the company, uh, the, he was able to bring about change to the culture, which... Uh, had an extraordinary benefit to the people around them. And, and so that's, uh, that is an apostolic gifting. That is something where he's, he's sent there. He knows what he's trying to do. He's trying to change something. He's trying to uh, break new ground and uh, bring some good in a particular situation. Do you resonate with that? Is that what gets you going? That's what makes you feel alive, get out of bed in the morning and so on? Secondly, prophetic people, and we've been hearing tonight from some people who have been listening to the Lord and speaking out what the Lord is saying. That's essentially what prophetic people do. They they can hear and see what God is saying and doing, and they're able to articulate it into a situation that needs to hear the voice of the Lord. Um, often they call people to faithfulness to God. Often they call people to holiness. And prophetic people love being with the Lord they love worship they love prayer they love listening to God Uh, they feel the intensity of the encounter with God and uh, there's lots of different strands to it I guess but if that is you uh, you are such a gift to the church and you are such a gift outside the church as well and I think of someone in my church uh, called Liz who um, wanted to stir up passion for God in our church and she came to me and said I, you know, we should really start doing some 24 7 prayer. And, uh, you know, we should pray through the day and through the night and tag team, you know. And I was thinking, this is great, you know, let's do a whole day. And, uh, and I said, how long do you want to do this for? And she said, oh, a month. <laughs> and, um, you know, as a church leader, I was thinking, I was thinking through the resources and the people and everything else, thinking, uh, you know, I don't want to appear faithless either, you know, so, so uh, I took a gulp and I said, okay, let's do that, and, uh, and we did, and honestly, it brought about an incredible transformation in so many people in the church, that people connected uh, with, uh, with God in a new and fresh way, and, uh, but it's just that she had um, the courage just to go for that, uh, but she was urgent about it, and she had and she'd heard the Lord about it as well. So apostles, prophets, evangelists. look, if you're an evangelist, you love to broadcast, you love to tell good news, you love to recruit people to the cause, that uh, you love people outside the church, you love people who don't yet know Jesus. In fact, some of the time you're usually fairly irritated with the church and irritated with Christians because you just want to be out there and you want, to, you want to see transformation in people's lives. You are incredibly moved by people moving from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that the Father loves. That really gets you going. That's what gets you out of bed in the morning. And, uh, and you, you just love to do that. You're less fussed by... Oh, worship and prayer, you know, not very fussed about that. But, you know, tell people about Jesus, that will really do it for me. And if you feel alive in that, again, you're such a gift to the church and you stir up other people. Um, And uh, so uh, John, who uh, Mike and I used to work for, was an evangelist. And when I used to go around with him, I used to just get braver at evangelism. I used, because he would go and he would do all kinds of embarrassing things in McDonald's talking to people and that sort of thing and I would get in on that and then I would think that wow that was amazing I could really do that and so when you're around people who carry that kind of gifting you start that it starts to rub off on you and so therefore you become a gift to the church because you stir up love for people outside the church fourthly we're get in there pastors pastors, you, you love people. You uh, love to help people. You model yourself on the Good Shepherd Jesus. You are very tender with people. Sometimes you're tough with people. You challenge them. You cure people. You care for people. You do things often in secret where people don't really know that uh, you have helped them. Um, you're generous. You're good listeners and so on. And Pastors are essential to the life of the church because you're the glue of the big family. Everything works in the big family because you are there. That's really important to know. And uh, I can think of people in our church who just uh, do amazing stuff, almost often unthanked because they just love to get involved in the details of people's lives, help people out, pray for people, give wisdom, and so on. Pastors. And uh, last but not least, teachers. The fifth part of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was obviously the great teacher, the way he taught. People were amazed and they thought he taught with such authority. But teachers really love to understand and explain and communicate ideas about faith. You love this stuff. You love thinking about it. You love working stuff out. You love, uh, you're probably getting into loving theology and that sort of thing. And you love to look at things from different angles, and you help people understand the faith. I don't mean by teaching just doing what I'm doing now, just uh, standing in front of people, but just one-to-one or in little groups of people or whatever. You help people, and it just gives you a buzz. You know, when you're working this stuff out, you think, this is great. I could do this all day. And, um, uh, And again, you are such a gift to the church because you build people up in... Uh, cognitive understanding, but also in relational understanding of Jesus Christ and the gospel, and uh, that is so powerful. And I, th- I think of someone in, in our church called Ben. He's about 30. And he lost his wife last year to cancer, and uh, it was very painful. Part, you know, part of our church's life. And um, he taught us not so much. He did one or two talks, as it were, but he taught us. Uh, almost day in, day out, what it, what it means to worship when you can't. And, uh, and that's such an incredibly valuable lesson where he was able to articulate what it meant to worship in the presence of very painful suffering. So, honestly, the ministry of Jesus is parceled out amongst us in these five different ways in particular. And uh, just have a think for a moment in a moment of quiet, uh, whether you resonate with one or two of those in particular, now you may already know, it's like, yeah, uh, that's me, that's me, that's where I fit in, that's the part I play. It may be rather tricky for you, and the point is, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably done all these things a bunch of times, and you're not quite sure, that's okay too, but just have a think for a couple of moments, and then we'll do a bit of prayer time.